But what is also interesting is that if you have a relationship, a present-day relationship, where it's a really solid relationship and your partner truly understands you and um, provides for you a sense of um, respect and trust and appreciation and all those good things, that will actually make up for what you didn't have as a kid. This week, Dr. Karen Sherman and I discuss the findings of some new research that was done by Artificial Intelligence, which looked at 43 longitudinal couple studies. I misspeak in a minute, suggesting that it's only 43 couples, when in fact it was 43 studies looking at data from 11,000 couples. Anywho, the AI then suggests that it has uncovered what satisfies couples' relationships. Dr. Karen Sherman and I dive into it. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchedmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. You know who's with us. It's the (laughs) original, the brilliant Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Good to be with you. Uh, It's always great to speak with you. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. She is the author of multiple books, Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. And she is uh, also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, Make and make it last. You can find this information at her website, drkarensherman.com, or our website, of course, hitchedmag.com. So, um... I came across a study this week, Karen, which was um, executed, conducted in a way that I hadn't seen any other marriage-related studies like this. Not not that they don't exist. I just hadn't come across them before. Um, uh, this study was a machine learning study that uncovered um, some self-reported predictors of relationship quality. And so... Um, The study looked at 43 longitudinal couples uh, that included 11,196 romantic couples. And I want to point out that these are not necessarily married couples. Um, And also, as I just mentioned, these are self-reported responses that they gave. Uh, which we've talked about that in the past as well, about mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the quality of that kind of information. So um, what this AI learned was that uh, what we've, you know, we've already known for the most part, which is that people's own judgment about their relationship itself, uh, such as how satisfied and committed they perceive their partners to be, is more important than their satisfaction uh, and their own emotional state, meaning... If they're frustrated with life, their relationship satisfaction will weigh heavier in their overall satisfaction. Um, What are your first thoughts on this? Well, two thoughts. Uh, One, isn't that sad? (laughs) Because basically what we're saying is that um, 
being involved in a relationship is so important. And, you know, we have discussed through the years that we've been together um, that really um, our happiness should not depend on our relationship, that it should be that we are happy within ourselves and then it gets enhanced Mm -hmm. through a good relationship. But my second thought is goes back to the concept of attachment theory. So if I may uh, explain it a little bit. Um, One of the findings that we have had about the brain is that the brain is a social organ, among other things. In other words, it needs to feel attached. And that is not um, attachment in a dirty way. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that it needs to feel like it's relating to another human being. And can I interject really quick? Sure. When you say it needs, um, what are we really talking about? We're talking about the neurochemicals that yes. get fired yeah. off? Okay. Right. Okay. So we're not talking about, oh, she's so needy. Right. We're talking about, um, as you said, a biochemical kind of response. Um, and so in the early years, um, the kind of parenting that is done will end up having an impact on how the child feels about themselves and those, and I'm going to explain that further in a moment, and that um, sense of attachment will then carry on to how somebody feels in their relationships later on. Now, though no parent can be perfect because there is no such thing, when you have good enough parenting, Mm -hmm. a child basically feels that they matter, that their needs have been responded to uh, appropriately, and in a timely fashion. So let's even start in the first year of life when a child is truly an infant and can't verbalize what they need, uh, so they cry. Mm -hmm. And if the parent comes in a timely fashion and let's say responds that the baby is hungry and so they feed the baby or the baby's diaper is wet and needs to be changed and so they change the diaper as opposed to feeding them, the child gets a sense of trust that the world is safe and my needs are being taken care of. That then leads to what is called a secure attachment. Mm -hmm. There are variations on that where we either have um, an insecure attachment and it can either be ambivalent or avoidant. Ambivalent is where the needs are met, but it's done very inconsistently. Sometimes the timing is off, sometimes the need isn't really met, and that is where um, the person has an insecure, uh, anxious attachment, and it is exactly what happens. The person becomes very anxious about their relationships. The third type, which is really interesting, is where there's this need, which again is biologically based, Mm -hmm. um, but for whatever the reasons, the parent is not able to be responsive, whether it is because they themselves are very damaged, whether there's um, drug addiction, whether they have to be working outside the home all the time, Mm -hmm. whether they die, but they're not available. So when the child attempts to get their needs met, 
the parent does not respond. The need does not go away, Hmm. but eventually the child learns not to ask for it because they don't get their need met. So can can I just ask, so does that mean that you, in that childhood state, your brain then starts wiring itself for the kind of responses that it's now expecting, whether it be absenteeism or the secure attachment? Exactly. And so basically what it does is it avoids relationships. Got it. So the need is there, but the the child learns to avoid it. Okay. Um, And so what that looks like much later in life is somebody who might have a commitment problem where they want to get involved, but when the possibility for getting close becomes a reality or possibility, they will pull away Mm. because the old feeling comes up unconsciously. This is not happening with an awareness of, uh uh-uh, don't go there because every time I've done that in the past, I've gotten hurt. It hasn't been responded to. Mm-hmm. So we so that's a quick lesson on attachment. Okay, so, so now I, going back. Uh, yeah. Sorry, can I? So when you see um, the or you ha- might have friends of like you know, I'm afraid of commitment or I know mm-hmm. I suck in relationships and they mm-hmm. recognize it. So it's not even like a subconscious thing. So they recognize mm-hmm. it. But what you're also adding to that is like not only are they recognizing that, but that's biologically how they've been wired to that point. So. Even though they recognize it, it, it's still like it's still a real thing. It's not just something they can imagine away. That is correct. And um, it's almost like when there's been any emotional trauma or Mm boo-boo early in life, that is a biological response that occurs. And so if something happens in your adult life that um, feels the same, to the person, again, Mm -hmm. at a sub-awareness level, you will have an emotional reaction that is far more intense than one should have to whatever the situation, the present-day situation is, because you're really responding from the past. And so it's, it's, which is... And I'm not trying to do a plug here, but that's what mindfulness and the art of choice transform your life is about, about these emotionally triggered reactions and the thing, the work that you can do to try to get past them. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, if we go back to your original question, it seems to me that if our perception is, and perception, my belief is whether it is about a relationship or about um, uh, how you're doing at a job or, um, you know, how you're functioning in the world. Perception has so, so much to do with, you know, how you feel about yourself in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, The reality of it doesn't really matter as much as your perception. And there's research on that as well. Um, So anyway, if your perception is that your relationship is going well, you're going to be satisfied because you're not going to worry that your partner's going to leave you. Your attachment needs are being met. That's right. That's right. And that is a basic attachment concern. 
So if you feel your relationship's going well and your partner is going to be there with you, all is right in the world. And that is going to be far more satisfying and calming than whatever particular individual issues you may be having. Got it. Okay. So long answer. No, I love that answer. It was, it was fantastic because I think, you know, a lot of times it's become like pop culture punchlines of like, Oh, something happened in your childhood, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we know it does have real world impacts. And the thing that I think is interesting is that we as a society generally recognize that, brain chemistry matters and you can take antidepressant medication, for example, and it will help and change the mood. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and the fact that we know that that works, but some people still fail to recognize that brain chemistry from your childhood, um, the same way that if you broke a leg and had it in a cast for a couple weeks and then that muscle atrophied and you know, your, your right arm is never really as big as your left arm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you recognize that there's a difference there and, uh, that same thing can happen with the brain in childhood. Um, mm-hmm. not that you can't start exercising that arm to get it just as strong. And so that's one that I wanted to follow up with is so, all this stuff that you talked about childhood trauma and attachment and, uh, not necessarily even trauma, but just, um, abandonment or whatever it might be. Um, are there ways, I I know the answer to this, but are there ways to reverse that attachment, um, chemistry that has taken? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, there were two ways really. Um, one is doing individual work where you go back to, um, healing the traumas. Um, but what is also interesting is that if you have a relationship, a present day relationship where it's a really solid relationship and your partner truly understands you and, um, provides for you a sense of, Um, respect and trust and appreciation and all those good things, that will actually make up for what you didn't have as a kid. Um, However, um, it may be difficult sometimes to get that because unfortunately, when there have been these um, difficulties in childhood, um, the emotions will... Um, get triggered, the negative emotions of the insecurity and um, the lack of trust and some of the accusations or whatever. And it would take a very, very unique person to not respond to that and Mm -hmm. to stay neutral to it. Um, So, you know, in, in in an ideal world, could it be healing just through the partnership? Yeah. But um, again, that would be a unique person. What what often happens is that somebody who has difficulty from their childhood does some individual work and gets to a point where they're not as reactive and then the partner can um, be more available because they're not feeling like the target practice all the time. Mm, gotcha. I, uh, because I love my metaphors, um, I, I like to think of it in a way of, let's say you have like a bullet wound 
and Mm -hmm. some, you know, you can totally heal over from it and go on with your life. Mm -hmm. But in order to really get rid of some of that pain, you got to get the bullet out of the body Mm -hmm. and you got to go back and you got to dig it out. And I kind of feel like that same way with like childhood trauma to really fully heal. You got to get rid of the bullet. Um, I wouldn't use the term get rid of it. I would say heal it. Heal it. Oh, that's great. No, um, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, going back to the study. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love our asides. They're so informative, I hope, for the, the listeners here. Um, okay. So specifically the relationship satisfaction that we've been talking about explained 45% of the overall happiness of, uh, the individuals within the relationships. So, um, this sounds kind of like a weird thing to, to quantify happiness like this, the, uh, but, um, that's really what data crunching and algorithms do is they look at all these metrics and then they put a value on it and then they spit out the number. So, um, while that number at 45% doesn't seem big, it was steady. Um, so it didn't matter what was going on in the person's life. That relationship number held at 45%. Does that steadiness surprise you? Meaning you can go through all sorts of variables that a couple will go through in their life, but if the relationship is strong, that 45% satisfaction doesn't really budge. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I think the fact that um, people in a relationship can feel that consistency and that steadiness will actually allow it to continue to stay consistent. Mm, like a self-fulfilling prophecy there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's good, too, because, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about a lot is when you go through a lot of stuff uh, in life, um, it it, it will often reveal where you are at relationship-wise. And if you're on good footing, you just kind of like ride out the storm. But if you're on bad footing, that's when things really blow up. And Mm -hmm. at that point, you probably weren't in that satisfied relationship to begin with when the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the S hit the fan, as they say. Yes. Um, (laughs) um, Okay. So I just mentioned that outside factors don't really rattle the satisfaction. That includes individual personality traits within the relationship. Um, And even uh, what their partner feels. Uh, so what they perceive their partner to feel in a relationship is more important than what their partner actually feels. So going back Mm -hmm. to what we Mm -hmm. talked about perception, um, in an attempt to gum up this study a little bit, do you think that if you had more open communication that forced you to kind of like burst the bubble of the perception Mm -hmm. to understand Mm -hmm. the reality more that it would change the outcome or by having a relationship where you have that kind of open communication where you, your perception isn't so mismatched with reality that you're probably on pretty good footing. So it becomes a wash. Okay. So I think that if for some reason you had a conversation and I, I don't even want to try to imagine at this point why you would question it, because if you're feeling good, you're probably not going to question it. But you say something and your partner says, well, I'm really not that happy, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that that would really louse things up. I think Mm -hmm. it would really make things terrible. However, if the conversation then went to, okay, what could make you happier? What would make, you know, Mm -hmm. here's what would make me happier. And they were able to go there. Then I think, 
it would, you know, make things better. That would allow mm. them to work on it. Um, but again, you know, based on what we said initially about yeah. perception, if your bubble got burst, I think that it would you would really have some very devastating impact from that. So it's really like the follow through that is really yeah. important on this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, going back to the study, the individual characteristics that most strongly predicted the quality of a relationship were satisfaction with life. Mm-hmm. Negative affect, e.g., feeling distressed or irritable, depression, avoidant attachment, which uh-huh. is what you brought up, um, mm-hmm. and anxious attachment, mm-hmm. uh, which you also brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the attachment things aren't surprising to you because that was your no. first reaction when you heard about it. Uh, anything else surprising to you about those factors? No, not at all. I think that if one of the partners is going through a depression, that puts a lot of stress on the relationship. I think that um, in general, we know that the more positive um, each person is, the better the relationship is going to be. Uh, So if, again, if I'm satisfied with life, um, then I think it's easier for my partner to feel satisfied because I'm not bitching and nagging and complaining mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, you know, and then, of course, we could be very glib about this and say, you know, a happy wife is a happy life. Right. So none of these um, surprised me at all. And again, um, I'm really glad that you brought up in this question about avoidant attachment or it was brought up in the study or anxious attachment because if you're avoiding you're not going to really make yourself available to be Mm. vulnerable in the relationship and open up Mm -hmm. and if you're anxious you're going to constantly be questioning and um, be going up and down in the relationship as far as your insecurities and and you know that's going to put stress on a relationship so Mm -hmm. this is a very um, to me a very logical kind of uh, uh, list that they came up with yeah so um, as I mentioned at the top I hadn't seen anything a study uh, done like this. What do you Mm -hmm. think about this kind of study where the data is just taken by the researchers put into a machine and the AI and their algorithm kind of spits out these results? What do you think? Well, it certainly, um, allows for objectivity because you don't have researchers, um, you know, inadvertently, Uh, looking at the data and having an agenda for the outcomes that they want to find. Um, But again, you said at the beginning, these were people who answered survey questions. And you know that I always mention that when you answer survey questions, it might be a different type of person than who who chose not to answer survey questions. Um, I think the most interesting finding um, is to me, a backup of other research I've read, as I mentioned previously, that there's no reality in life. The only reality that you have is your own reality, your own perception, and that really carries you through Mm -hmm. as far as how how your life goes. Um, You know, two people could have the exact same amount of money and one person is crying, you know, destitute and, you know, oh, woe is me. And the other one feels like they're really, really wealthy. So 
it's not the reality of it. It's again, the way you look at life. Right. Right. That's a great example. I love that. Um, as you know, in my, uh, my other life, I'm also a tech journalist or have been at least. And so I, you know, I'm just a sucker for anything like this, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> AI and algorithms and machine learning and all that stuff. And, um, to your point, the fact that you can put this data into, uh, a program and it can spit out, uh, results really quickly. I personally look at it as a augmenting tool. So you can do the research and then you can take massive amounts of data to see like, am I on the right track and you Mm -hmm. can throw it into the thing and it'll spit it out. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in journalism, the same kind of thing is happening where, uh, AI is literally writing articles, um, taking raw data. So a good example of this is, um, stock market stories and quarterly earnings reports and sports stories where, Mm -hmm. Um, they will, they know who got up to bat, who hit the ball, who swung and missed, who scored runs, who made errors. And the machine will go in and put together a story based on that raw data. Mm. And, um, depending on who's writing the algorithm, that's the other thing is, um, it takes away some of the bias, but the algorithm itself can have bias. So I want to throw that in there, um, based on how it's programmed and, um, I was thinking that, and I wasn't yeah. sure, you know, because you're far more technologically savvy than I am. But I had that thought: can it be swayed by the way you put Ab- the data in? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that it's calculated, the way that it's put in, the way that it's um, read out, like all of it can be manipulated. The nice mm-hmm. thing about it is it's it's hardwired. It, hardwired is not the right word. Um, True AI changes. Um, machine learning is built on like uh, algorithms. The data you put in, um, it gets smarter. Like that's what machine learning really means is like it gets smarter as you include more data into it. So it continues mm. to evolve. Um, but you can set up parameters and limits on it uh, the way that it's currently set up to where um, – you know, a great example of this, sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but, uh, I just watched, uh, last week tonight with John Oliver on HBO. Um, uh, and he was doing this conversation about jury selection and jury pools. And one of the things he talked about was how the jury selection process has been contracted out through third party vendors and they will use mm-hmm. software to select the jury pool of who gets summoned for juries. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the programs that he highlighted stopped, uh, alphabetically, uh, right before W, um, and W happened to be Wayne County. And I think Indiana where like 90% of the population was black, which meant that if you wanted a jury of your peers and you were a black, um, person on trial, that you were missing like the most populous uh, selection of your peers were just being completely omitted based on mm-hmm. how the software was written. And so that is a way that is like a very simple way th- to demonstrate that um, bias mm-hmm. can be built into the system. So um, 
but you can see that, right? Like, so you can see that you can say like, you know what, <laughs> next time go all the way to Z and then it's fixed uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then it becomes yeah. random. Yes. Um, yes. so that's the beauty of it is that you can fix mm-hmm. it with literally just writing a couple lines of code or maybe a lot mm-hmm. of lines of code. Um, but you can remove that bias and it can get smarter. So that's, that's the nice thing, but you know, like we are, you know, com- our brains are computers too, so we can get smarter about it as well. Um, but that was a very long, long winded answer to say that, like, I love this because it backs up what we do. And I think it can augment the work that, um, researchers are doing and it can be a way to get like kind of cheap, fast information on yeah. whether or not they're uh-huh. on the right track and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's really cool and I'm excited to see, uh, it being used and I'm really excited to see where it goes. So, um, did, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up before we wrap this up? Oh my goodness. After that lengthy first answer. Nah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, with that, then we will wrap it up. Uh, so thank you so much for your time, uh, Karen. It is always a pleasure and I look forward to doing this again very soon. Okay. Thank you. And, uh, before we go, I want to remind you one more time that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of mindfulness and the art of choice, transform your life very much about what we've been talking about this whole podcast. So check it out. You can find it on Amazon. You can find a link to it on Karen's website, drkarensherman.com. And of course on our website, hitchedmag.com. And Karen is also the co-author of marriage magic find it keep it and make it last uh also we have um a free newsletter that goes out every monday so if you want to stay up to date on all the latest information i highly recommend signing up for that it takes about 30 seconds there's a link on our homepage, hitchedmag.com and with that we will wrap it up until next time take care everybody Now we know it's go time